appear to have got some kind of throat problem. I I was kind of hoping to get into the sex line business anyway. So, you know, there you go. Right. Well, monetizing the Rankcast has been a fairly unsuccessful process so far. Maybe in your attempt to sell me last week hasn't worked. So maybe this will do the job. Yeah, maybe. Although uh, occasionally I go into squeaky mode, so it's going to be a, a bit <laughs> part, part sex line, part Kermit the Frog. Not not sure which one. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to go down this line anymore. <laughs> I want to stop and I can't believe you've made me really want to talk about the Aston Villa game. That is quite an accomplishment in the opening seconds of the podcast, Ed. Because that game, I don't know, it was a bit... It was a bit flat, wasn't it? There were, it had its moments. It had its moments. Meh. It, it was a lot of meh. That's what it was. It was. It was Ashley Young. He was but really that's good. That's how I feel about he Ashley was, Young. Yeah. He was good actually. He was. He was one of United's better players. Yeah. He, he had a very good game. Falcao scored. There's a bonus. Yes. Very nice goal as well. Fine cross from Young and a very classic header, wasn't it? Back across the keeper. But apart from that, just a little bit flat. I thought. United actually passed the ball pretty well in the first half, but created almost nothing. And you look at the team and you go, hang on a minute. Rooney, Mata, Van Persie, Falcao, a couple of wingers in the team, all that attacking talent and hardly created a thing. Yeah, uh, and it, it was funny that it relied on Ashley Young to do that creation. There was a definite problem in the first half, multiple definite problems in the first half. The last minute selection of Darren Fletcher because of either illness or injury. Well, illness for Fellaini and and one or the other for Herrera. But no one seems quite sure at the moment. That and an impending prison sentence. (laughs) Harsh. Poor lad. The midfield of... I can't believe that United looked a bit disjointed and found it difficult to create chances with a midfield of Darren Fletcher and Wayne Rooney. Yes, Rooney uh, giving a classic midfield performance. Actually, I thought, you know, he was all right. So 87 out of his 93 passes completed. That's a lot of touches. He was definitely involved in the game. a key figure for United. But, you know, if in doubt... Uh, whack it out to the right wing Hollywood ball on you know Rooney's pass maps hilarious because I tell you what you really could do this right before the game Rooney playing in central midfield uh, in fact, next time, let's do this. We, we're going to draw his pass map and, and it will have about 20 <laughs> balls from the sort of centre of the <laughs> midfield, uh, about 50 yards to the right wing. Yeah, absolutely. What was notable about this game is so many of them worked. There's only three red lines. Now, they are all long diagonal lines out to the right, but there's a couple of light blue ones where he created opportunities as well. So all in all, his couple of games in midfield it's proving a pretty successful experiment and he's retaining that kind of tactical discipline almost to a fault in this game like he didn't get forward very often at all no that's right and I think as a result he plays a lot of balls square so I know I know he created a, a few chances I mean um, they were all shots from outside the box uh, if I remember correctly having uh, you know thinking back on the game but he's um I, I just it doesn't feel like he's he's a natural midfielder a lot of the time maybe it's just because he doesn't burst forward so it's that kind of Frank Lampard. If he's going to be the attacking player, and given the type of player Rooney is, you just want him getting forward and into attacking spaces. I'm not quite sure he does that all the time. So, And, and then there's the tendency to overhit the Hollywood pass. Not convinced that he'll ever be a world-class midfielder, but he's done fine. I thought he, he did a fine job against Villa. Um, uh, it gave Matter a little bit of space, but United had a lot of trouble finding Matter. I mean, he... He had less touches in the entire game in 90 minutes than Darren Fletcher had in one half. Uh, And that tells you something about 
how peripheral matter was. And he, not that he had a bad performance, he just didn't get into the game. And it's interesting because people blame matter for that, understandably, it's his responsibility, but these things are complicated, right? It's not as simple as saying, oh, matter is therefore bad. The problem I had, sorry, so I cut you off there, uh, but my, my brain is working faster than my mouth or the other way around. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> the problem I always have with, with uh, United playing three at the back, you know, w- one, it's a bit chaotic in defence sometimes, although not against Villa, I have to say, what you know, pretty sound. But the biggest one is that United really do struggle to transition from defence to attack, and especially when Carrick's in the back three. And that's kind of why I was a little bit surprised Carrick was in the back three as well, because Van Hal talked about this on Friday, uh, about how United need Carrick in there in order to get balls into the front men. That's, that's exactly what Van Hal said. You know, I, I think I've said it many times on this pod this season, so I'm glad uh, I'm glad Louis finally caught up. But it's definitely a problem for United. And, and part of the problem is not being able to get the ball into matter and the balance of the midfielders that they have in there when they allow Massa to play in that kind of free role at number 10. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think there was an extra problem today, which was Van Persie and Falcao. And the two of them, in the first half in particular, it almost looked like Van Gaal had said something about this at half-time because they kept making the same runs. There's a, there's a point in the first half when a cross is coming in from the left and you can see them run towards the same spot and then catch each other doing it and then veering off sort of thing. But they're both very used to playing... They're both more used to playing as a lone front man, aren't they, than two number nines? Because you couldn't say which of the two of them were playing deeper, could you? They were very much a centre-forward pairing in a sort of fairly old-fashioned way. And I think that actually made it quite difficult for Mata to find the appropriate space because they weren't pulling defenders in different directions. They were operating in the same zone, as as Van Persie said so often. But that did improve in the second half. And, of course, Falcao got his goal. And Falcao's all-round performance was spectacular. Uh, there was a stat on Twitter shared by Squawker, I think, that was like, no, no other player in the Premier League today created more chances than Falcao. And he also scored a crucial goal. Because although we didn't win that game, drawing it is a heck of a lot better than losing it, isn't it? Yes, quite, of course. I'm, I think after six victories on the spin, though, you, you're kind of disappointed when, having had so much of the ball, United uh, didn't come away with the three points, you know. But of course, you know, better to better to get the draw. Um, but with 20 minutes on the clock and uh, Villa down to 10 men, yeah. uh, United will be considering that points lost for sure. Yeah, especially since they were really on top until the sort of a combination of things happened. So he took off Van Persie and brought on Dimmer. First of all, at half time, he made a lovely switch, took off Fletcher, brought on Blackett and put Carrick into midfield. And that instantly United looked a much more balanced side, didn't they, after that? And there was 20 minutes of really solid pressure. But when Van Persie went off and Di Maria came on, it's not that that substitution was a bad one, but the consequence of it was Di Maria was so kind of hungry and desperate to be involved. And he, I think in the space of five minutes, put in three or four really terrible shots. And it did sort of just sink United that the, the balloon mm. felt like it was slightly deflated at that point yeah it did a bit I mean that was that was part of United's problem for for much of the game wasn't it I mean shots off target quite, quite a number of them uh, nine out of the 16 so I mean and Di Maria came in and he played right up front I mean really up front uh, as well which was an interesting choice and then he switched it up again 
bringing on Wilson rather than Yanazo, which is kind of interesting for Valencia, putting Wilson and Falcao through the middle. Di Maria on the left and Ashley Young, who'd been really effective on the left, on the right. Switching, And then Young's effectiveness really dipped and he did a load of like classic Ashley Young crosses and just like straight at the keeper and over hit and all that back to kind of normal Ashley Young really so I do feel like a bit like Van Gaal sort of managed that game that game got away from him when Mm. he needed to make a kind of well in the dressing room I'm afraid because it was a slightly odd selection all round wasn't it you know Rooney and Fletcher in midfield I know Fletcher was a last minute one but Herrera wasn't fit I suppose there weren't many other choices Uh, if Herrera could have played then you know you're starting to worry for the lad he barely gets a game these days and when he does he's pretty good but uh, it it didn't seem to you know bode well for a a fluent performance from United and then yeah I think I think he's taken a few gambles with the substitutions and none of them have paid off exactly I mean that's that's the thing because the game started off got away from him and then he kind of pulled it back and then as you say, it's gambles that didn't pay off, right? They're not bad substitutions per se. They they definitely could have worked. If Di Maria had managed to catch one of those properly, we'd be having a completely different conversation about how he changed the game and all that sort of thing. As you say, it's a gamble that didn't work out. And and interestingly enough, the manager gambling always, always brings to mind Alex Ferguson. And uh, there was a nice quote in Van Gaal's press conference on Friday when uh, he said, Ferguson said to me, everything's fine, you're winning. And he said, ah, but I don't like it. I like the performance. And I was like, oh, this is good. It's good. He's like, um, can you imagine David Moyes saying that in a press conference? Yeah, that's it. Um, another good piece in the press conference when uh, there's a loudspeaker announcement saying, can the masseur come to the uh, first team dressing room? <laughs> Interesting. I would have thought it was the doctor and a paramedic this season. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, um, he said, what's going on? And the lady there said to him, uh, it wasn't supposed to be heard in here. And he pulled a little face like, oh, someone's going to hear about this. He also said, somebody needs to inform the media and I'm not going to inform the media. at his press conference. Yes. So I'm not here to inform the media, literally sitting in front of the media. Brilliant. I, I know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that there was much irony in that either. But there you go. Uh, but, <laughs> no, it was a weird performance and and it is kind of frustrating like after all these wins on the bounce. But, you know, a load of those wins were daylight robbery. So the fact that we kind of dominated a game and couldn't get it together to get three points, we sort of owed one of those. And and we've taken 19 from the last 21 points and anyone would have absolutely bitten your hand off for that after the City game, wouldn't they? Well, absolutely, yeah. So, But that's the big picture, right? Yeah, the here and now, that's uh, definitely two points dropped. Yeah. I guess we'll see after the Christmas programme. So yeah, games against Newcastle United, Tottenham Hotspur... Stoke and uh, if United drop more points in those games, then it might feel like a you know a bit of a dip, but uh, maybe not. You know, certainly all winnable, aren't they? Yeah, and and I think there's plenty in that game that bodes well for the Christmas period. Di Maria coming back, he's going to be more effective next time he plays. It stands to reason. Falcao getting a goal. I mean, you know, we talked last week about how you certainly cannot accuse Falcao of phoning it in. And my goodness, was he a rage of genuine passion and, you know... Just... Yeah, it was Marco Tardelli, 1982, <laughs> yes, wasn't it? it was, yeah. absolutely. And and he really, 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 really needed that goal. And 
I think he'll start him against against Newcastle. And I said this after whatever the last game was, Falcao hat trick against Newcastle. It's coming. Is that right? And so, look, he needs to play. You know, he's yeah. he's going to score goals yeah, if he plays. Of course, he is. But he he just needs to be fit. And um, he's been pretty unlucky this season in that he's just never had that fitness. So it poses problems for Van Hal. Of course, he's got to find the right balance between Van Persie, Falcao. Matter and Rooney, I'm not sure if today was it or not. I mean, ideally, you'd like to find a way of getting them all in the team and, and having it work, but um, not quite sure it did in an attacking sense today. But we'll see. I mean, Falcao's hardly played this season, has he? So uh, over the, the whole campaign, uh, he's, he's played less than 10 games, so you can't expect him to be sharp and uh, at his very best. But if he is, and you saw that with today's goal, so if he is sharp and he is playing, he's going to score goals, right? It's a classic Falcao goal, though. That one pulling off the defender, header across the keeper. Looks simple, but lots of players would miss that. You know, I hesitate to say it, but Danny Welbeck, kind of chance he might have missed. I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, I don't know who you're talking about. He's dead to me. That's very good. Another striker, uh, Benteke, scored an absolute peach of a goal for Villa, didn't he? So, uh, sort of 15 minutes into the game or so. much against the run of play, but uh, I kind of have to call that one out as a as a fine goal. Yeah, um, do we do we think Evans has any blame for that goal, any culpability for that goal? And this is basically just to lead into a conversation about how I'm genuinely worried about Johnny Evans's apparent massive regression at the moment. I'm not sure what you're talking about, mate. He seems to be uh, putting in the kind of performances he always does. <laughs> There's an error in there all the time. But it's worse than that, though, because I mean, I will definitely concede that he uh, he has made plenty of errors throughout his career as as many great defenders have but there were times when he has looked a really exceptional defender as well funnily enough a Rankcast listener who I can't remember sorry who it was but tweeted at me that they were listening to episode 10 of the Rankcast from October 2009 and I went back and uh, and had a listen to it just because I mentioned it and you were full of praise for Johnny Evans in 2009 called him an excellent defender Ed I I don't believe you (laughs) You also said the De Silva brothers would eventually eclipse O'Shea. And you said that Torres didn't play that well for Liverpool in a game they beat us. Uh, and that we really miss Cristiano Ronaldo. So <laughs> that was... So it's a world a world apart the yeah. time when we started up this podcast. Well, given that we record these things, you know, unscripted, yeah. um, I'm not sure I'd like to go back and listen to too many of them. So, uh, without <laughs> the context of, you know, knowing what exactly happened that week and... How you're feeling about the game? It's uh, you, you could pull some very funny quotes out. Appraising Johnny Evans? Hmm. Maybe I'd had a turn. <laughs> um, well, at some point you turned against him. That's for sure. I'm not ready to write him off because this season I'm pretty sure that in my head I've written off Smalling, Carrick, Van Persie, and Rooney, and maybe some others, or Valencia, all of whom have then Al oh, Fellaini, of course, all of whom have gone on to to have some pretty decent-ish games. Uh, yeah, I tell you what, that Di Maria fellow will never make it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Johnny Evans is, I don't know if he's struggling to come back from whatever injury it was that he's got, but there was a pass at the end of the game, right at the end of the game, when we should have kind of been winning by that point, but it was still one all, and he just kind of hoofed one. I think it was him, just hoofed one out to the edge of the area. A really dangerous position was picked up and it was completely unnecessary and I, I I'm just I'm just worried I'm just putting it out there in general I'm a bit worried about Johnny Evans but as I say I'm a pretty bad judge of who to be worried about or not 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 his finest game look he's two games back after quite some time injured so 
Uh, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. He's a better player than he he showed against Aston Villa. He's still got an error in him, whether he's a, a better player than that or not. Uh, I don't think that's ever changed through his career. He's always, for me, been just a notch below the best around. But that's, you know, that's... He's, a, he's still a good player and he's better than he was against Villa. Yeah, absolutely. So, a couple of Twitter questions before we preview the Newcastle game. Are you going to pay back my bet if Falcao doesn't get a hat-trick on Boxing Day? Asks underscore Taylor Ben. No, no, no. No bets should be made on the basis of rank cast predictions. Surely everyone that's ever listened to this podcast should know that by now. Mm. And this is quite an interesting question, which sort of leads into our preview, really. At Eddie Rose 13 asks a question that I think is on a lot of people's lips, which is, in all seriousness, everyone fit, what on earth is our best 11? Yeah, good question. I'm not sure I know it, but uh, uh, Van Hal doesn't either, given that he's played about 75 players this season. I'm not sure of the exact 11 or formation, though I'm pretty sure it's not in a 3-5-2, 3-4-1-2. Would it be something along the lines of De Gea? He definitely gets in the team. Yeah, I, I think that he is in our best 11. Yeah, likely, likely, likely so. Uh, Raphael, I think, would get in there since he's actually our only right back. Ditto sure, because he's our only left back. Having said they're our only left back and right back, if they're both fit, you've got no problems with them being a left back and right back, right? That's You can compete at the highest levels of European football with those two in the side as far as I'm concerned. Right, yes. Um, in theory, at least, because United aren't in even the second level of European football this season. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? It's not a position that you think is a problem if our first team choices are fit. It's just that, sure. particularly in Raphael's case, there's no evidence that that's very likely. No, on the bench today, though, so he's obviously uh, on the way back. And then in central defence, I'm not sure I could pick. I mean, it's, it's likely two of Jones, Smalling and Evans, although, you know, they've all got their problems. Jones... Uh, just never fit. Smalling not very often fit, and uh, we've talked about his uh, distribution problems, although uh, improved this season. Then he came up with the brain dead problem, uh, and then uh, Johnny Evans. Well, you know, always an error in him. So there, I think, and you can say the same for Raphael as well. So even with whatever combination of that back four, I'm not sure it's a European Cup winning back four at the moment. I think I'd go Jones and Rojo. Jones and Rojo, I completely forgot him. Yes, you would. Yeah. In fact, actually, there's a good case to say Rojo is United's best defender this season by some distance. But uh, Rojo and Smalling have been a really effective partnership in a couple of games that he, after he came back from his suspension. So I, th- I think that is the most difficult position. Because I think in midfield, let's assume we're sort of doing a kind of diamond four-two-three-one hybrid. So I think I would go... With Carrick over Blint, probably. That seems reasonable, doesn't it, if we're, get, if we're going in a diamond. And then Herrera and Di Maria. And Mata in front of them, or Rooney in front of them, I guess. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? This is where the problem comes. And Falcao and Van Persie up front. Who have I left out that's brilliant? Mata gets left out of, of, of that, or Rooney. And I'm not sure who you want to leave out, because... You don't even really want Rooney at the tip of the diamond, do you? Not really. Uh, and there's uh, a bit of imbalance in there. Well, there's no width at all. So Yeah. But it's it's uh, United's best performances have probably come in a, a sort of diamond formation this season. I'd like to see United play with some width. So I'd like to see Di Maria in a sort of uh, the uh, left side of an attacking three. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that is, of course, you only get to pick one of, probably only one of Falcao and 
than Percy and Rooney because um, I, I, I don't really like Rooney in that number 10 position anymore. He just doesn't seem to have the subtlety of touch or movement or passing or talent or skill or intelligence <laughs> play, or hair. If you, if you play three in the middle, you can get away with having Rooney in there, I think, probably somehow. Mm. Anyway, it's one of those things that, you know, maybe it'll take shape over the second half of the season. I'm not, I'm not sure we've quite worked that one out yet. I'm sure, sure Van Hal hasn't. I think it's it's telling how the you don't you don't necessarily need to know what your definitive best 11 is because it's a squad game it's very rare that you play i mean ferguson how long was it in between ferguson playing ever playing the same 11 twice you know it just never happened did it that you would have the same 11 playing twice in a row on a regular basis in the last 5 years of fergie or whatever so so it's almost like a, an anachronistic concept your first 11, this is your best 11 if everyone's fit because you rotate in and out. Everyone is not fit by the nature of professional football, you know. So so it, the fact that that isn't necessarily an easy question to answer doesn't isn't necessarily problematic because actually you want to have multiple high-quality options in different positions, don't you? Uh, you do. Van Hal talked in his press conference on Friday about the importance of rotation and that, uh, you know, he was complaining about the number of games. Um, fair enough, a lot of managers do that when they first come into to England. I remember Arsene Wenger doing it in his uh, first season, complaining about the number of games over Christmas, and uh, Ferguson's retort was rather acid about uh, overseas managers coming into the English game and telling us how to run our football. Uh, one of many spats between those two, but uh, not not surprising really. Van Gaal has looked at the fixture list and seen what is it, five games in a couple of weeks, basically. So he's certainly going to have to rotate his squad. It, it, it is that, you know, big squads appear to be important, uh, especially when you've got European football, because United will only play about 40 games or, the, or so this season, depending on how far we go in the FA Cup. And depending on how many fixtures we uh, squeeze into the calendar in midweeks come January onwards, because, of course, that is now looming mm. on the horizon, isn't it? The, uh, the commercial fixtures, which is basically we know are definitely going to happen don't we unless the club are backed out yep out to Qatar or or uh, the Middle East somewhere for a, a few um, lucrative paydays before any of that though 26th of December the day after Christmas St Stephen's Day for our Irish listeners normal working day for our American listeners because I don't know you don't get an extra day off for Christmas which seems so harsh but anyway the barcodes are coming to town we, I was going to say we always beat them <laughs> there's of course a recent notable exception to that but we don't need to dwell on that I feel like even though today's result against Villa was a bit disappointing there's every reason for a good deal of confidence going into this game because we we have been an awful lot better at home haven't we well that's right and Newcastle have been pretty abject away from home recently a spanked at Tottenham in the Carling Cup what's it called these days Capital One Cup and Arsenal in the league and then West Ham before that right and only drew at Burnley so not being so good on the road recently, Newcastle United. Very mixed set of results over the last sort of, seven or eight games. You'd expect United to put in a, a much more proficient performance than the one against Aston Villa. And you'd expect United to win against Newcastle. I mean, it's, it's uh, Newcastle have had this kind of really weird set of results. They went on a great run for a while and uh, pushed themselves right up the table. But 
think in the last month or so they've gone off the boil quite a bit. Yeah, Pardew got the classic manager of the month and then fell apart thing that he's done. He has literally done that at Newcastle before, which is some going. They're in a weird position because their good run of form came when he had to ditch a load of players for injury and put a bunch of kids in the side and it really was effective. Um, and of course that's going to necessarily be bursty and, and not always reliable, but it's kind of, it was quite exciting to watch them for a bit. I don't know, I've got a big soft spot for Sammy Amiobi, basically, that's what it comes down to, because of his world-class social media game. But he's not uh, world-class on a pitch, and, and nor are probably any of the other Newcastle players. No. You'd say the standout player this season was Jan Matt, the, the Dutch right-back, who's had a very, very good season. Yeah. Um, I wasn't entirely sure about him in the World Cup. Can't say I'd seen huge amounts of him before that. And Van Hal kind of chopped and changed that position quite a bit as well, didn't he? But uh, I think he's had a very good season. But apart from that, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of players haven't shown up, especially some of their sort of more senior players, I think. So Teote's not had a good season yeah. by any means. Steven Taylor's always injured. Colaccini uh, looks like he's he's fading pretty fast. Gufran, I think, has been really poor. So, you know, a lot of the, the senior players not being very good this season. And, of course, they shipped out Ben Arthur, who Steve Bruce said this week he doesn't know where he is. said he's not AWOL, but I've got no idea where he is. That's brilliant. Yeah, classic classic Bruce, that is, yeah. Pardew uh, spent quite a long time talking about Ben Arthur in, the, uh, in his press conference this week and wasn't very subtle about him. No. As he said, he needs to go off and find... Uh, a manager that he likes to play for. <laughs> Although, to be fair, does anyone want to play for Alan Pardew? I'm not sure anyone wants to play for Alan Pardew. And it'll be interesting to see whether Newcastle do. You know, I was pretty harsh about their performance against Arsenal last week on the podcast, but maybe they were a bit better than I did him give them credit for in that game. But yeah, they're not on a good run of form away from home. They'll be super up for it. They'll, you know, they'll be in full cup final mode, I'm sure. And... You just have to hope that United can match them and surely he's not going to play free at the back for this one. Yeah, I don't know. I can't call it anymore. So it is a different formation every week. Not quite, but, you know, there's been a lot of them. You wouldn't have thought so. United don't need to play five at the back. Don't need to. I mean, you'd end up with two spare defenders all the time because Newcastle will only play one up front, for sure. How much do you think that the three at the back has actually, we've all been looking at the reasons why, but really, he's really gone back to it because of a combination of the lack of fitness of his central defenders, the ones that are playing, I mean, and also the fact that he's playing Valencia and Young either fullback position and he doesn't trust them to do the full kind of fullback job. Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot to do with that. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, prior to the World Cup, one of the Dutch journalists said that this is Van Gaal in crisis mode. So he's uh, he's trying to mitigate against what he sees as United's weakest position you know, right across the defence. He knows that United can't win a thing if we're shipping goals every week. doesn't matter how many millions of pounds you spend on strikers. So, yeah, he's managing that crisis and, and of course, you know, but it's uh, it still comes back to the, the fact that it makes it look like, a, you know, pure pragmatism every week. He's picking a, a team in a formation just for that game and uh, you, you start to feel like there's no real direction. Maybe we'll get it. I couldn't tell you. What do you think? He'll probably play four at the back at home, but I couldn't say for sure. I couldn't say for sure either. I thought he was going to play four at the back against Liverpool, but... It kind of at least makes sense. Liverpool are a club of a big stature and whatever, although, of course, Newcastle are considerably above them in the league, aren't they, at the moment, unless I'm mistaken. Because Newcastle will play with one up front, almost certainly, won't they? And so it seems like a complete waste to play 
three at the back in that game. And, and also, especially for like, Raphael's fit again, and if Raphael can start at right back, then you could play Young at left back. And we all know Young is now a world-class left back, so that's all fine. Jones and Evans have got enough games under their belt now that you would think they should be able to play as a two. Although wouldn't put me past, wouldn't put it past him to play like I don't know Jones and Carrick at centre back or whatever. Um, although I think that would be genuinely disastrous at this point. Mm, that'd be against the philosophy anyway. You've got to have a left footer and a right footer. If you're oh, playing yeah, of two. Course. Yeah, I was thinking if I could be bothered if there was a website where you could easily access the transcripts of all Louis Van Gaal's press conferences, I would compose an article for your fine website, which was just uh, what is Louis Van Gaal's philosophy based on all. The the things he said that's my philosophy also well this week he said that um uh, carrick is the best at transferring his philosophy onto the pitch <laughs> yeah so there you go it's michael carrick that's the philosophy but you know it's it, his philosophy has been so many different things left-sided player and right-sided player at the back players have to play in the second team before they can play in the first team that is also his philosophy and it's just there's an extensive list none of which add up to anything like a philosophy as far as i can work out but i think he's got one i th- i do think he's got one so, what's the philosophy against uh, Newcastle then? What, what what team do you think he's going to pick? I mean, there's definitely going to be some rotation. So, injuries aside, I think he will pick Raphael, De Gea, obviously, Raphael, Jones, Evans, Young, Carrick, Rooney, Mata. Carrick, Rooney, I've got too many players. Curses. It's so hard, isn't it? Carrick, Rooney, Mata, and then <laughs> Di Maria... Van Persie and Falcao up front. Don't, just, don't worry about formation. We'll just play a 4-6. That'll be fine. 4-0-6, yeah. Yeah, 4-1-5, Carrick in midfield. Yeah, he can't play all of them players, can he? Maybe Herrera for Mata, then that kind of makes sense. Someone's getting dropped, Someone's getting dropped, aren't they? And it's not... Yeah, we'll see. I, I think I think Mata will probably drop to the bench uh, for this game against Newcastle. Um, Yanazai hasn't played for quite a while, so... I think he'll get a game at some point, maybe not against Newcastle, but over the Christmas period, he's got to play. At MUFC, Colin says, what's the deal with Yanazai? Which I think is a really interesting question because the fact that Wilson came on instead of him today, Wilson's definitely ahead of him in the attacking players in general pecking order, isn't he, at the moment? And I would not be at all surprised if Yanazai goes somewhere on loan in January. I feel yeah, like he's stalled. It's a shame, though. Mm. It, well, it does feel like he's stalled, but... Uh, the first half of the season, I thought that he was just easing Yanazai back in. Yanazai's had you know, a very big season last year. It was his breakthrough season. Then he went away to the World Cup. So I figured it was a, a case of just easing him back into the team. But he's featured so little and he's basically back in the under-21 side that maybe alone wouldn't do him any harm. But then you look at the player and think about the talent he's got. I think, should United be uh, offloading talent of that quality you know, especially if if he does want to move to a formation that's more akin to Louis van Hull formation when everyone's fit, you know, he's going to want someone on the right side. And if Yanazai isn't there to provide some competition for Tony Valencia, Jesus, it's a little upside down, isn't it? Yeah, because, you know, he's a much better fit in a 4-3-3 than Valencia, isn't he, in theory, you know. So. Yeah, so I'm not sure what's up. Maybe he's taking a little bit of knock to the confidence through not playing. But, uh, you know, anyway, over Christmas, I'm sure he'll get some game time. Yeah, so we'll do a prediction for this game at the end. A couple more Twitter questions before we look at the Tottenham game. At am underscore Bick says, are Hollywood balls to the right wing a show of world-class passing range? I think he's been a bit sarcastic about our fine, upstanding captain there. At RNCFAR1 
Robert McFarlane says, Adnan Saeed, innocent or guilty? I think if we've learned anything, it's that justice is not served through narrative entertainment. I just think that was the message of the whole thing. I think Rooney did it. <laughs> almost, almost certainly. This one more for you than me, Ed. Uh, at the Dodo says, what's your favourite Christmas drink? Ooh, oh, probably a bit of mulled wine, to be honest. That's that's a Christmas drink, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not really into eggnog. It's a bit sweet. And disgusting. Yeah. I mean, custard's not great anyway, and uh, sticking some booze in it doesn't seem to help. No. Uh, my favourite Christmas drink is tea and water. Same as... It's not really Christmas. I think that doesn't count. No, I think tea is not just for Christmas. It's for life, but it is also for Christmas. What, what about a, you know, like a spiced non-alcoholic cider? Do you, do you like something like that? I, I like uh, like an appetizer or a schlur, you know. Hmm. That's not Christmas either. I'm a bit confused. I spend quite a bit of uh, bit of time in the States, as you know. Yeah. And uh, in the States at this time of year, they uh, sell you hot cider. Which turns out to be not hot cider, but hot apple juice with some nutmeg in it. It's unacceptable to you, that, isn't it? It, it, re- it really was, yeah. I spat it out and threw it in their faces and said, give me some booze, I'm English. Um, a really interesting question from at Denolf. I've been thinking of, at a Denolf, sorry. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, <laughs> that's a sad insight into my world. Um, do you think Valencia is good enough to be a backup right back or should we start f- search for a new starter because of Raphael's injuries? And I think... You basically, you can lump Raphael, Jones, Evans and Smalling all together in uh, probably ultimately good enough for Manchester United. Certainly in three of those cases, I would say there's not even any doubt about that, really. But ultimately undone by injuries because it has reached a point with Raphael da Silva, one of my very favourite players at United, um, not just for his lovableness, but also because I think he's phenomenal. But... I think we need to look at a proper alternative first choice right back because he's never, ever fit. No, he's not. And it, I mean, I'm afraid it's the same for all of those that you listed. So we had this conversation earlier this season. Coming to the belief that probably a number of those should be replaced in the summer is not about their quality. It's about their availability, as you say. So, you know, the consequence is that United either have to play a inadequate right back in Valencia. He does a bit better in a 3-5-2 because he gets less defensive responsibility-ish. But he's pretty awful at right back. Uh, there's always a goal in there, isn't there? Just against, not for. And um, just means that you either play with an inadequate backup right back or United have to buy another first team right back at, you know, at great expense and, and have two first teamers there competing, You know, which is fine, but... I'm not sure it's a, a good solution for Raphael. So, yeah, might need to go shopping in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. So, a team that will probably do quite a lot of shopping in the summer. They always do. Tottenham Hotspur. Another team who are having a super weird season. We are, for sure. Newcastle definitely are. But but Spurs also having a, a very weird season so far. Well, just absolutely smashed Newcastle the other day. But having a, a pretty bad time of it in the league at the moment. I mean, what they they down in... what? I know, 6th or 7th, I, I can't remember off the, exactly, you know. So it's so up and down. Pochettino's already coming for some criticism, of course, but he's playing with a new side. They bought quite a number of players, spent a load of money after Gareth Bale went um, the season before, summer before last, bought a few more in the summer, so he's still trying to shape his side. So it's uh, they're not where they want to be, but it's this weird thing about Spurs. You know, there seems to be an expectation amongst the fans and the board that they should be easily in the top four in England. But history tells you they're, they're not that. They're, they're a, a club, in both in terms of revenue 
success and history that is somewhere just outside of that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They are currently sixth in the table as we record this. But their their recent form is so weird. Like, going back to October, it goes loss, win, loss, win, win, loss, draw, win, win. Mm. Is that weird or is that the uh, the form pattern of a side that's sixth in the table? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's exactly right. But but the games that they've won and lost have been weird too. They beat Swansea, of course, in a weird smash and grab thing. And then today they've, uh, they've beaten Burnley 2-1 at home, which is not... Exactly a fantastic result. They've got a Boxing Day trip to Leicester City before we play them. It's very difficult to preview fixtures one game ahead of time, isn't it? Because so much can change in terms of injuries and all that sort of thing. Pochettino has not exactly slid into place and set the world alight, has he? Um, He's not exactly been able to transfer the, I guess, the atmosphere that there was around him at Southampton. But you wonder how toxic Tottenham is as a a dressing room. Yeah. It does seem to be a team that's kind of a bit hodgepodgey and a bit like it's been built without a structure. Without a philosophy. That's what they need. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so look, there's there's some up, upsides. So Ericsson is having a, a fine season and uh, he looks like he's finally growing into the kind of talent. Uh, we talked about him quite a lot, didn't we? Because there, there were rumours that he might come to United and my feeling was always that he I didn't think he was just good enough, you know, or just not consistent enough. Yeah. I wasn't sure he could make the leap up. There's nothing this season that tells me that he's still he's good enough for United, but he's having a fine season. Eric Lamella, who's finally coming into his own, hasn't he? He's got that uh, wonder goal in the, the Europa League, sort of flick with the back of his heel. Um, I think he's had some good performances, again, a little bit inconsistent. But that that's kind of the thing with so many of their players. You know, you look at the the squad list and you down it, you think there's some there's some talent there. You know, Kapuade, a player who had a fine time in France. Nasser Chadli broken into the Belgian side. So as is Jan Vertonghen, you kind of think there, there's some talent there. Harry Kane is now scoring goals. You know, kind of English player that people talked about a lot at youth level, and he took his time. I think, to break into the, the Spurs side. But he's, he's scoring goals now and seems to have taken over from Adebayor and, and Hugo Lloris, they've got a fine keeper. So, you know, there's, there's stuff there. It feels like there's a building blocks, but you're not quite sure where they're headed um, under Pochettino. And you're not quite sure they have enough quality to get into the top. Well, I'm sure they don't have enough quality, but, you know, you don't know that they ever will build that by, by swapping out six players every summer. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, I mean, they are a club that desperately need a manager to manage them for a, a consistent run, right? They, they need to find the right man and back him for a bit because it's been one thing after another and kind of lurching from one management style to another for ages. They have, and um, and so I want to get the best out of some of their better players. I mean, Dembele being anonymous this season, hasn't played a lot, of course, been injured. Aaron Lennon hardly ever in the side. Soldado... Is he even at the club anymore? Did he go back on loans? No, he's still at it. He scored a goal the other day. He did score a goal the other day. Off the top of my head, I think that was uh, the first of the season. And then um, a whole bunch of other players who just aren't quite cutting it in the way you'd think they should. You know, Paulinho, is he still at the club? Did he disappear? Holtby, is he still at... No, he went out on loan, didn't he? He, he went, he went. Yeah, Andros Townsend, haven't seen him at all. Sigurdsson's not there anymore, is he? See, we've got a finger on the cutting edge of football. Well, you know, but I'm just... You know, in that, Dembele, Lennon, Soldado, Holtby, Polino and Townsend, you've got a ton of talent and yeah. a not cheap talent either yeah. who just aren't cutting it. 
at the moment. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've just spent a long time talking about them. But what we really should have said, of course, is it's Tottenham. There you go. That's Roy Keane's advice. Yeah, United will go there, smash them, take the three points. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope, Van, wouldn't it be amazing if Van Gaal just goes, my philosophy on this one is it's Tottenham and walks out. Be brilliant. As we speak, I'm looking at a dictionary of philosophy across the room from me. And I'm kind of tempted to write to Penguin and say, hey, this does not have nearly enough about what you do with your fullbacks in it to be a, a bona fide dictionary of philosophy. So what's your prediction for the two games then, Ed? Mm. Do you know what? Just, just a side thought. When Van Hal says philosophy, maybe he doesn't mean philosophy. Maybe he means principles. He definitely does. That's exa- that is exactly what he means. Because then it all makes sense, doesn't it? In terms of philosophy, we can just say, you know, strategy or direction because United have none and there is none. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> all right, look, just listen to two episodes ago if you want my rebuttal to that, ladies and gentlemen. I wouldn't bother. It takes hours and hours and hours and then we <laughs> agreed that I was right in the first place. But... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What, what do I think is going to happen? I, I think United will win twice. Uh, me too. I could I can see us getting a draw at Tottenham and not winning because our away form has been so over all over the place and they are two games in quick succession and, you know, very rare are the Christmas periods where we put it all together and it stays all together because it's just so hard. It's just like, it's so physically demanding to do that and, and fans will get impatient and stuff, obviously, when the performances don't click. But football is a hard, hard game. And so... I wouldn't be surprised if we beat Newcastle and draw against Tottenham, but ultimately I think I'm going to predict a 3-0 win with a Falcao hat-trick against Newcastle and a (laughs) 2-1 win at Tottenham. Okay, very good. Well, I'm going to predict a uh, 3-1 win against Newcastle. Falcao hat-trick or not? No, I don't think so. Maybe he'll score, though. Maybe, maybe. Um, He's going to be on the bench, though, isn't he? And then I I think uh, United will win 1-0 at Spurs. I would estimate a less than 5% chance that Falcao will be not in the starting eleven if he's fit against Newcastle <laughs> like he's not going to start him he scores unleashes a tidal wave of furious passion and then Van Gaal benches him the next game I don't see that happening somehow yeah but he's just come back from injury so playing him again you know 48 hours later is uh, is a tough call I'd say it's it's not though I'm talking about the Newcastle game so that's six days after they last played yes very true we'll see I'm not sure if it's in his philosophy or not <laughs> Well, it's in my principles. I'm going all the way to Manchester. I want to see Falcao so I can give him a hug. Very good. Well, look, I'll tell you what. It, it was a highlight of the week, uh, Falcao scoring. Everyone wants him to do well. He's already a fan's favourite, isn't he? He's not done a lot in a red shirt yet, but everyone kind of feels that he will do it and uh, and he's he's just got the right attitude. He's desperate to do well for United and you saw that in the passion with which he celebrated his goal and I think it was, uh, it was very nice to see. Very happy for the lad. Hope he plays, hope he scores that hat-trick you're going on about. Come on, you Reds. It's going to be good. Um, so, Ed, have you got any exciting plans for Christmas or, or your birthday? Because it is, of course, your birthday. Maybe even the day this podcast comes out. No special plans. Uh, family time, a few mince pies, a bit of sherry, and uh, maybe I'll try and start an argument with someone because that's what you do at Christmas. Don't do it, kids. I hope that you have a very lovely seasonal winter festival of your choosing. And we'll be back again after the Spurs game to reminisce about what's happened over the festive period Uh, I'm certainly going to be doing my best to enjoy the lovely Christmas and the lovely football two of my favourite things 
And if you want to get hold of us to wish Ed a happy birthday or wish me a Merry Christmas, it's uh, at UTD Rantcast on Twitter for me, at United Rant for Ed. You can get us both or more accurately, neither of us, on facebook.com slash United Rant and read what Ed has to write on unitedrant.co.uk. Read what I have to write on a Bleacher Report if you want to. Content coming all week, even though it's Christmas. Doing, doing better than me. I barely get any content up at the moment, but... Uh... I've been rather busy with work. Um, that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. If you want to help us with the Festival of Consumerism, that is Christmas, unitedrant.co.uk slash donate to chuck us a tip in our virtual tip jar. Much appreciated if you do choose to do that. But frankly, much appreciated if you don't and you just choose to listen. And I think I am going out... Scrooge! I'm not going out on a limb here when I say that from the both of us here at Rankcast Towers and from producer Tom, without whom none of this would be possible... We'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas and uh, we'll be back in time to wish you a Happy New Year.